Well, I'm supposed to speak if I can get my feet to stand still. I know what all of you are thinking. You're all thinking as you were enjoying that music, uh, what's the speaker think? I saw you all looking over at the front row to see what Paul Plue was doing and what I was doing and Dave Maddox was doing. And Praise the Lord. I'm grateful for the music that we have at the Master's College. It was our joy last Saturday night to have Majesty minister to us. They did a great job. And I'm thankful for Melanie. Uh, she was our switchboard operator. And I got to know her when I first came up here at, uh, to the Master's College. And I'm grateful for the ministry that these young people have had to us this morning. We love the Lord. We love to bring praise to His name. And I know that uh, you were blessed and encouraged with their music this morning. Just a couple of things I'd like to share with you. I mentioned that Majesty sang for us on Saturday night. I understand that Russ mentioned just a little bit to you about our banquet on Saturday night. I'm not sure that you all know what took place there, but we had some of our friends come in and just shared with them what God is doing at the Master's College and Seminary. We had one of our students from the college and one of our students from the seminary. We had one of our donors who has been involved in our ministry for some time share why he gives to the ministries of our college and seminary. And that night we laid some responsibilities on the part of our donors to help us to come alongside and minister with us here at the college and seminary. And I'm grateful to tell you that that night the Lord did exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Some of our projects, or two of our projects, were student aid for the college and student aid for the seminary. But just a week prior to that banquet, we had heard from our librarian, Dr. Jim Stitzinger, that there was a library available that we would love to have at the Master's College. It came from a school that was closing its doors on the East Coast. And uh, there were 29,000 volumes available to us in Bible, theology, and missions. And we could buy those books for $137,000. That's a lot of money for 29,000 volumes. And yet today, the average cost of a book to go on the library shelf is $19. It costs $7 to get that book ready for the shelf, to get the cards done, to get the Dewey Decimal System implanted in the book and in the card catalog. And so uh, we are talking about $26 a book, and this came to $5.50 a book. And so we laid that burden on the hearts of the people that night. And when we asked the people to fill out their pledge cards or to put their offering in the envelope, I saw a gentleman stand up and go over to Dr. MacArthur's table and hand him an envelope. And later, John said, he asked me to open the envelope. And John did. I was standing at the podium sharing some things with the people. And John came up alongside of me and said, Don, I, I, I've got to share something. He said, this is a pledge for $137,000. And so that library is being purchased. The check was delivered. It's been put in the bank. And uh, also that night, there was a gentleman there who said, I want to see that those books get here at no cost to you. So he is, has three semi-trucks going out to um, New Jersey to pick up those books. In the meantime, Jim Stitzinger bought library shelves, had a plan approved by Dr. Stead. 
And uh, before long, those books will be on the way and will be available to all of you right here at the Master's College. We're grateful for that, and we praise the Lord for that. We also had many other gifts that night that will assist us in helping our students here at the Master's College. So we rejoice, and I said to the young people from Majesty as they were getting their things together at the end of the evening, you had a very important part of this evening because God used all of the things that took place that evening to bring about the results that he wanted here at our school. One other thing I'd like to mention to you, I have before me a book in the Russian language. It's the book on Shepherdology, a master plan for church leadership. It's written by our president, Dr. John MacArthur, translated into the Russian language because of the gift, a gift from one of the people that was here at our banquet on Saturday night. 20,000 of these books have been shipped over to Russia. And very this very week, John is ministering using this book as his text. Right now, he's in Kiev. Over the weekend, he'll go to Odessa, hold another Shepherds Conference there, and then on to Moscow, and then be coming back one week from today uh, to minister at Grace Community Church on Sunday. So as you meet for prayer around the campus, in your dormitories, wherever that might be, Please remember our president as he ministers in Russia this week. With him is Dr. Robert Provost and uh, a couple of other men that went with him, including Matt MacArthur, John's son. We are trusting that the video camera will work well so that when they get back, they will be able to share with us some of the things that uh, they saw the Lord do while they were there in the Soviet Union. If you're interested in taking a look at this book, I'll have it afterwards. Uh, it's interesting. The index is in the back. And uh, we're pr- praying that God will use this in a very special way. Well, it's a delight for me to be with you this morning. I don't get to too many chapels, but I do try to get over here from time to time. Uh, just in case you don't know who I am, my name is Don Hescott, and I'm the Executive Vice President. I've just been here since April. And uh, I also have the joy of serving with a master's communication, which will soon move into this location as well. We just leased a building with the option to buy over in the industrial area, and we're looking forward to having another group of people come up and join with us so that they can get in on some of these chapels. One of the things a speaker usually does when he walks into an auditorium is to uh, look around to see if there's a clock. Now, I have a nice note here from Gail Bird telling me what time I'm supposed to be done. But it reminds me of the story that was told of me when I left my pastorate where I had the joy of serving the Lord for 11 years. The music director told this story at my farewell uh, party. He said that one day one of our young people came to our church who had never been in a church like ours before. And uh, as he came into the church, he was quite interested in what was taking place. The organ was playing. People were gathering. Some of the people were chatting. Some of the people were opening their Bibles and reading them. Others were in prayer for our morning worship service. But he kept asking questions about what does that mean. 
At 11 o'clock, it was our custom that our organist played 11 chimes on the organ, which was a call to order. And our choir led us in the doxology. We all stood and sang praise to God. This young man nudged his friend that had brought him to church and said, what does that mean? And he said, well, that's our call to worship. We've come this morning to worship the Lord. And uh, we're singing in praise and worship to him. A little bit later on, uh, we stood to read the scripture. And he said, what does that mean? He says, this is God's word, which is our rule for faith and practice. And we read from God's word every Sunday. And the people stand in honor to God's word. Then a little later, I gave the announcements and asked the ushers to come forward. And he said, what does that mean? He said, well, he said, these are men who are volunteering their time to take up the offering because that's how we pay our staff. That's how we send missionaries out around the world and take all the needs of our take care of the needs of our building. On through the service, everything that took place when the choir sang, what does that mean? Then it came time for me to preach, and as I've just done, I took my watch off and I put it on the pulpit because we had no clock in the church. And he said to his friend, what does that mean? His friend looked at him and said, that doesn't mean a thing. <laughs> well, I was told that if I'm not done by 25 after, you'll all leave. I'll try to be done by 25 after. Let me tell you something that just happened to me yesterday. I was leaving my office, walking out to where I parked my car. And there were three young men sitting with Scott Artavanis under the oaks. And I went over to say hello to Scott because I know he preached here on Wednesday. And I know David DeVries, who was here on Monday, speaking on this series on the local church. And uh, I went over to say hello to Scott and to those men that were with him. And one of the young men said to me, Mr. Hescott, what single thing can you tell me that it means to you to be a godly man? Well, that's quite a question. One single thing which would be a characteristic of a godly man. And my answer was to know God's word. I thought about that as I was driving home that day. That was yesterday. And I thought, did I give him the right answer? Would it have been better for me to say to him to know Jesus Christ? Or to know the power of the Holy Spirit. But as I thought about it, I thought maybe that was the right answer. It was the one God gave to me to give to him. Because if you know God's word, then you know who Jesus is. And you know who the Spirit is. And you know what God expects in a local church. And you know how to live a godly life. And you know how to treat your neighbor. And you know all of the characteristics that belong to that person who can say, I'm a godly man or a godly woman. Our problem is that too often today we do not take time to know what God's word says. My dad taught me a poem many years ago. It goes like this. I stood at eve by the blacksmith's door and heard the anvil sound the vesper chime. And looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn by beating years of time. How many anvils have you had to wear and batter all those hammers so? Just one, replied the smith with twinkling eye. 
the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so methought, the anvil of God's Word, for centuries skeptic blows have rained upon. And though the sound of falling hammers may still be heard, the anvil stands, the hammer's God. This is God's Word. It has stood the test of time. And if you and I want to know what God's Word says about the local church, we'll find it recorded in Scripture. Now, I'm not sure what David told you on Monday as he spoke to you. I do know that Scott was speaking from Ephesians chapter 4. But today I want to speak to you a bit from Acts chapter 11. But before I do that, I would like to share with you just a little bit of my background in local church planning. Russell thought it would be good for me to share this with you. In 1957, I accepted a pastorate in a church on the south side of Chicago. We were in a changing neighborhood and determined that we would leave that church there, support that church, and let it minister to the people in the neighborhood. But at the same time, we would start another church out in the suburbs. And it was my responsibility as the pastor to work out that arrangement. I went out into an area where many of our people were moving, near an expressway, and... uh, I found a piece of land that looked very good for a church, but I noticed they were building houses all around it. So I went to the sales office and said, can you give me the name of the builder who owns this land? Because we'd like to build a church here. The lady said to me, weren't you a student at the Moody Bible Institute? I said, yes, I was. She said, I think I went to school there while you were there. We'd already made a contact. She said, I think my boss will be very much interested in having a church built in that area. In fact, I think he'll give you the land. That was an answer to prayer. We went back to tell our people about this, and our people got excited about it. And so immediately I began to look through our church to find out who is it that I can take with me, who have the gifts to make up the leadership in a local church who will go with me to get this church started. I'll go out there and preach at 8.30, come back in and preach at 11 o'clock at our other church, and then we'll have reverse order of Sunday schools. And so I begin to pick out leadership, the kind of leadership that we read about in the Word of God in regard to those who are capable of leadership in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as in Titus. I found some people and I told them they weren't too excited about leaving the congregation that was going so well. But I said, pray about it and let's see how God leads and directs in your life. Before long, we had a team of people who were willing to go with me at 830 and start a church. But there was much work that had to be done before that because it was necessary for us to go and to find a place to meet to get into the neighborhood, to tell people we were coming, why we were coming, what we expected to do, and what the local church could accomplish in that community. When I went back to that sales office, I said to that young lady that was sitting at the desk, I said, do you think that we could have this sales office 
for the first few Sundays? She said, yes, we're not open on Sunday. They happen to have blue laws in that, ter- in that community. And all the stores, all the businesses were closed because it was a day set aside for worship. It was a Dutch community. So we began to go through the neighborhood and tell people that we would be meeting at the sales office on such and such a Sunday and that we would be starting a local church in that community and that we would have a morning worship service and a Sunday school and then invite those people to come back to our church, the main church, for the evening service. In four Sundays, we'd outgrown that place and we went to a junior high school and got a gym about the size of this one And before long, we were filling that gym on Sundays. And I was preaching at one place at 8.30, another place at at 11 o'clock, and then they were having Sunday school at one location after church and at the other location before church. And God honored that ministry, and we began to build a new church which would seat 800 people and then later an educational building. Now, many people would look at me and say, oh, that was a great accomplishment on your part as the pastor of that local church, but that isn't true. It wasn't a great accomplishment on on my part. It was a great accomplishment on the part of a group of people who are willing to follow what the Word of God says about the local church. In fact, I can't give you all the details, but in the next six years that I was there, we started five more local churches around that community, and all of them are autonomous Baptist churches today. It was a great thrill for us to do that. Why did that happen? I think it happened because we followed the principles here in Acts chapter 11. Having your Bibles open to that passage, let me just mention a few things to you. Number one, we find in Acts chapter 11 that this church at Antioch was a church that knew Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. It was a knowing church. They knew the Word of God. They knew who Jesus was. They knew that He was the Messiah. They knew that he had come to seek and to save those who were lost. They knew that he had brought about him disciples and apostles to carry on the ministry. They knew the word of God, that which had been given to them at that point, including the Old Testament and those, those uh, portions of the New Testament that had been written to them. It's one thing to say we know the Lord Jesus Christ and to know the Word of God. It's another thing to really know it. There are many people today who say they know the Lord Jesus Christ and all they know Him is historically. That is, they know who He was. They've read about Him in Scripture. They know that we celebrate His birthday at Christmas time. They know that we celebrate his death and burial and resurrection, Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. They know that he did a lot of good things, but they've never met him personally. 
Wherever I've gone as I traveled through the years on behalf of the organization where I ministered prior to coming here, I found people who said, yes, I know who Jesus is. But when you ask them, do you know him personally? Do you know him familiarly? The answer would be, I'm not sure I know what you're saying. Then there are people that we know contemporaneously. That is, there are contemporaries in life. We know something about them. We read about them in the newspaper. If I was to say to you today, do you know who Ronald Reagan is? You'd say, yes, I know who he is. I say, have you ever met him? And many of you would have to say, no. Most of you would have to say no. Do you know who George Bush is? Yes, he's our president. Do you know him? A lot of contemporaries that we know a little bit about, but we really don't know them. Then there are people that we know by contact. There may have been a time in our life where we met them. I was thinking as I was going over these things this morning about the time that I met Dr. Billy Graham at the Moody Bible Institute and had the joy of hosting him for a day and having lunch with him and talking about his ministry and how God had used him through the years as he taught the Word of God. But if you would say, do you really know Billy Graham? I'd say, oh, I know who he is. And yes, I've shaken his hand. And yes, I've had lunch with him. But I really don't know him that well. Or if you come into my office on the second floor of Rutherford, you'll see a picture of me with President Gerald Ford that was taken in the Oval Office of the White House. I'd been invited there with a group of broadcasters to share some things that were on our hearts about religious broadcasting. And when he heard that I was from Michigan, he said, I'd like to see you afterwards. And so I went from the cabinet room into the Oval Office and his photographer was there and took a picture and he gave me a set of cufflinks uh, with the presidential seal on them and sent me a picture and wrote me a little note. And that was wonderful. But if you would say to me, do you really know? Gerald Ford, I'd have to say to you, I know who he is. I've been in the White House. I've been in his office. He gave me some gifts. I had my picture taken with him, but I really don't know who he is. So we can know somebody historically. We can know somebody as our contemporary in life. We can know somebody by contact. We can also know some people familiarly. That is because we spend a good deal of time with them. We know what they think. We know what makes them happy. We know what makes them sad. We know what pleases them. We know what displeases them. We know what angers them because we have been a part of their lives. And this group of people at this church in Antioch knew the Lord Jesus Christ in a familiar way. And that's why God was blessing that church. So it was a knowing church. They knew who Jesus was. And they were followers of him. And the scripture goes on to say in verses 21 and 24 that they were a growing church. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And large numbers who believed turned to the Lord. And again in verse 24, "...and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord." Why? Because they were a knowing church, they were a growing church. 
I don't know about your church at home. I'm sure you pray for your pastor. You write him notes from time to time to encourage him and tell him what college life is all about. You probably share with him the prayer requests that you have on your heart. I trust that you do that because if there's anybody that needs to be encouraged today, it's pastors who are faithfully teaching God's Word. If you haven't done that for a while, I'd suggest that you do it because your pastor needs that encouragement that you can give to him as that church grows, as that church is fed the Word of God. It's a joy for me to be a part of the Grace Community Church. After having been a member of the same church for over 30 years, the church that I pastored and the church in which I served. But I know that churches today are struggling and many of them are not growing because they're not knowing churches. They're not following what the Word of God has to say about the local church. But that isn't all it says about this church at Antioch. It says they were also a giving church. If you look at verse number 23, you'll find that When he had come and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. They were a gifted church. They knew what the gifts of the Spirit of God were, and they adapted those gifts to their own hearts and lives so that they could serve effectively with their under-shepherd. They weren't only a giving church and a gifted church, but they were a going church. Turn to chapter 13 and verse 1. And there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set me apart. Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. They were not only interested in ministering their own community, but they were a going church, sending out people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ whenever God laid his hands upon the people in that church to go. Why were we able to start really six churches, because we had people who were willing to go as Paul and Barnabas were here to do the work of the ministry. Our time is gone, but let me just conclude by saying this. It was also a gathering church because in chapter 14, verses 26 to 28, there was that opportunity for them to be a gathering church. And when they had arrived, verse 27, and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. The local church is God's instrument today to reach a lost world. The local church should be made up of people who know who Jesus Christ is, who are growing because of their love for the Lord Jesus Christ, who are gifted and using the gifts that God has given to them. 
that are giving of themselves to others that are going out to reach the fields that are white already to harvest and who are gathering as they bring in the sheaves. When you leave the Master's College, many of you will go on for further education. Many of you will go back to your own local churches to be involved in that local church. It's my prayer that as you go back, you will continue to be an encouragement to your pastor and make yourself available and learn while you're here what the giftedness is that God has given to you so that you can put it to work and be an encouragement and a blessing to those in your own church. Let's bow for prayer.